this morning when we were riding in the car, we were talking to each other, Inga, Il, Lil, and us. What happens if we encroach into each other's message? So we decided it must be the Lord if we do. Because then you need to hear the things twice. Because the Lord wants to emphasize something twice. So if you hear us say something that the other one has already said, then the Lord wants to give that extra to you. So you should pay extra attention. <laughs> Some of you may know me. I'm Gisela Johannen. I'm the wife of K.P. Johannen. Uh, he is the president of Gospel for Asia. We work in more than 10 Asian countries. We train national missionaries and send them out uh, to win their own people to Christ. And we also help a lot of Dalit children or children that are from the untouchable castes uh, to get education. We have about 72,000 of them or 75,000 by now. And our missionaries plant churches and we have also radio broadcasts in about 116 different languages and Bible schools and many other things. The reason is we want to see the name of Jesus to be known where the gospel has not been preached, where people don't know uh, how that there is a living God who cares and loves for and loves them. Now my part is I work with our ministry here as well as overseas and overseas my part is to help our women's ministry. In every one of our churches we have women's groups and we do outreach, we do missions, compassion ministry, we do healthcare teaching, we do literacy work, and a lot of other things. Most of our believers in the churches are first-generation Christians. I would say 99.9%. So a lot of foundation has to be laid, and especially God's word. And so... Uh, that is what I am involved in. Now, that is all I've... Oh, uh, Inga Lil, she told you her age, so I will tell you mine. <laughs> I'm 64 for one more month, then I will be 65. <laughs> okay, let's go to Elijah. We already heard his incredible story. And in this session, we will talk about how and why does drought come. Now, the prophet Elijah announced drought to King Ahab. And he was saying, it won't rain until I say it. That's 1 Kings 17.1. Now, for three or three and a half years, it didn't rain. And people became very desperate. Now, we need to imagine 
it was an agricultural society. And to have a trout where people depend on farming the land, it's a death sentence. No rain means no harvest. It means famine. All the water sources will dry up. The animals have nothing to drink. They will die. There will be starvation, death of cattle and people. I don't know if you are old enough to remember the, um, the famine and the trout in Ethiopia last century. <laughs> I remember so well seeing horrendous pictures on the TV. You saw tracks of people coming to refugee camps and people will fall down. They are skeletons. They can't get up anymore and they have to leave them behind to die. And those that reached the camps, they were in horrible condition. And you saw people with skin and bones. It was just terrible. And I remember so well one story that came out during that time. They showed the picture of a mother. And they were saying her story was she had twins. But because of the drought, she did not have enough nutrition. So she had not enough milk for both. So she had to make a decision which one of her children to feed and which one to let die. And that's what she had to do to have at least one survive. Now, imagine this kind of situation in Israel. Now, as we already heard, Ahab believed that the drought was Elijah's fault. He thought Elisha, or he considered Elijah to be his enemy, and he believed it was Elijah's powers that brought in that drought, that disaster. And so Ahab desperately searched for Elisha. He, I imagine Ahab wanted to Elisha say the magic words and reverse the trout. And if he wouldn't do it, he was going to put the sword to his throat or something. So, Elisha was not to be found. And as we heard, Ahab was looking for him in every nation. Now, after three years or three and a half years, when Ahab met Elisha, he said, you troubler of Israel, 1 Kings 18:17, And Inga Lil already said, Elisha turned it around and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. That's in 1 Kings 18:18. 18, 18. Now, why did Elisha say that? See, Elisha knew God's word, and he remembered in the times of Moses and Joshua what happened on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim. Now, when Moses and the children of Israel traveled out of Egypt, and they came close to the promised land. Moses was telling the people of Israel, when you cross the Jordan, 
These shall stand on Mount Gerasim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishashar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And for the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice. And he is telling them what they have to say. You read that in Deuteronomy 27, 11 through 14. Now, what happened was, God made Israel do an unforgettable exercise. Half of the tribes, the people had to climb Mount Ebal, and the other half had to climb Mount Gerasim. And the Levites, had to stand in both places and with a loud voice pronounce God's blessings that come with obedience. If you obey, then you will be blessed in the country, in the, in the city, and you will, your fruit will be good, and all these different things. They had to shout this. And then the other people from the other mountain, they had to the Levites pronounced the curses. If you don't obey, this will happen to you. And uh, you, fr uh, you will be unfruitful, and you won't have no rain, and you won't have, uh, everything will go bad. And the people, after each of these pronunciation, after each curse, after each blessing, they had to respond. They had to shout, Amen, which means, so be it. Now, Elisha knew this and remembered them. One of the blessings of obedience was what they had to pronounce. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season. That's Deuteronomy 28.12. And one of the curses of disobedience was, in the heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, in the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. That is Deuteronomy 28, 23, and 24. Now, how did Israel go from blessing to drought? When we read how Israel started, and then when King David reigned, Israel was blessed by God in every way. Now, it didn't start with Ahab, actually. The move toward drought began at the end of Solomon's reign. We read about Solomon, the wisest man, the wisest king on earth. It says about him in 1 King 11, 4 and 7 through 8, for it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And then it says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, 
in Formolek, the detestable idol of, sons, of the sons of Ammon. Thus he did for all his foreign wives, and he had a lot of them. 700 wives, 300 concubines. And it say, has a whole list of nations where these wives came from. These wives burned incense and sacrificed to their gods, and they turned his heart away. That's the move toward the drought started at the end of Solomon's reign. As a result of God's judgment, the kingdom of Israel was divided. Now we have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Solomon's son, he only got actually Judah and some other people came from different tribes and were still with him. And Jerobeam got the other 10 tribes. Now, Jerobeam, he was a very smart man. He said, if I let the people go to Jerusalem every year for the sacrifices and for the festivals, very soon they will desert me and go back to the house of David. So to prevent this, he put up two idols, two golden calves in Bethel and in Dan for Israel to go to worship. And very cleverly, he selected priests out of all the people of, of uh, Israel, not the Levites, but whoever was there. And then he instituted fasts and he fixed them at similar times, like in Jerusalem, so they didn't have to go anymore to Jerusalem. Now with all this, he put Israel on a downward spiral toward the drought. Now comes Ahab, after a few more kings comes Ahab. And Ahab led Israel deeper into idolatry and its consequences. He did not only continue Cherubim's idolatry, but as we heard, he married Jezebel. And Jezebel brought the Baal and Asherah worship to Israel, including she brought a whole delegation of 400 Baal's priests. And Inga Lil already read the verses what God thought about Ahab that he did evil. And I want to read just more, one more verse, verse about him. First Kings 21, 25. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. Now, the trout happened as a direct result of the curses that God had placed before the people of Israel. And they had said, Amen, so be it. If we don't obey God's word, then there will be famine, there will be no rain. And they had said, so be it. And now it was so. The physical drought that they experienced was a visible consequence of Israel's idolatry. 
It's the same thing, you know. If you get the measles or chickenpox, the visible evidence shows up on your skin. You get a rash. You get these red spots all over. But also, the physical drought was a picture of the spiritual drought in the land. It was a drought of God's word being proclaimed, a drought of worshiping the living God, and a drought of people knowing God personally in their hearts. But there were still people left in Israel who worshiped the true God. And even though Elijah thought he was alone, there were 7,000 others. And even Obadiah, who was Ahab's house steward, it says about him in 1 Kings 18 verse 4, he greatly feared the Lord. Under the nose of Ahab, there was someone who greatly feared the Lord. And what he did, he was hiding a hundred prophets of God, 50 by 50 in caves and sustained them with bread and water when Jezebel, she went on a killing spree of God's prophets and God's people. So there were people left. So why did God not only punish Ahab and Jezebel? Why did God deal with Israel as a nation when he brought on the drought? Why did he do that? The reason is because Israel had made a covenant with God as a nation under Moses' leadership and also under Joshua's leadership. You can read this in Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 5, 2, and Joshua 24, 19 through 27. Each time they made a covenant as a nation. You shall be the God of Israel. We will be your people. We will be the people of your own possession. That's why the drought came over the whole nation, because they made a covenant with God as a nation. Now, that meant that the faithful people had to suffer along with the whole nation. But those who brought on judgment... Now, we have other examples in the Bible where that happened. For... Um, when Israel came out of Egypt, you remember when Achan sinned? And then the army went uh, to take Ai. You know, they said, easily we can take it after Jericho. They lost the battle. And why did they suffer? Because one man sinned. It came upon the whole nation. Think about the 10 spies that were sent uh, to spy out the land before they would cross over the Jordan. That 10 spies brought back a bad report. Only Joshua and Caleb, they brought a good one. But God pronounced judgment upon all the people of Israel. They had to suffer 40 more years of wilderness wandering and had to die in the desert. Never 
be able to go to the promised land. Now, Joshua and Caleb, these two, they hadn't done nothing wrong, but they also had to suffer 40 years walking around in the wilderness, suffering the heat and the drought, instead of being in the promised land for 40 years and sitting under the vine and the pomegranate tree and having a nice time. When you think about Elisha, he was such a righteous man, but he had to suffer with his nation during the drought. He had to suffer the heat, the dust, he had no water, there was food shortage, he had to suffer along with those who caused the thing. But there was one difference. God preserved the lives of the faithful in the midst of these consequences that he brought upon the nation. And he also fulfilled the promises he had given to them. When you think about Achan, only Achan and his family perished. The rest of the people could go on. And then in Joshua and Caleb's case, they didn't die in the wilderness. 40 years later, they crossed the Jordan and they inherited their piece of promised land. And God also preserved Elijah's life through ravens and the widow. Now, when we think about national drought, you know, this happened then, long ago. But let's look at our nation. We couldn't say today we face a similar situation like Israel faced in Elijah's time. When we look back in history, our nation here was founded on Judean Christian principles and values. Now, as our nation departs from God's word, there are consequences that follow, just like for Israel. Now, you may not have lived long enough, but in my lifetime, we witnessed how prayer and the Ten Commandments were taken out of schools and public places. And we saw many of our Christian values were attacked and abandoned. We found that over the years, immorality became accepted in normal behavior. And people don't, no longer feel ashamed. They openly proclaim what they do. And then we saw in our lifetime, abortion and gay marriages are legalized. And in these days, we see our government is almost on the verge of forsaking Israel. And then in our lifetime, we have seen how many churches rather preach prosperity instead of taking up the cross and follow Jesus. Each of these moves brings us closer to a national drought. And then, as Christians, we don't subscribe to these things, but we have to live with the consequences of the choice that our nation either voted for, or our leaders took us, or the people in general 
are living. And we see such a rise in violent crimes, in drugs, in immorality, in child abuse. We have school shootings. We have homegrown terrorism, not foreign. And then we see the destruction of marriages and families and a lack of integrity across the board. You hardly find people that are honest and faithful, that have a work ethic and no regard for authority and the law. And I remember when I grew up, you know, I used to walk for hours in the forest and in the fields and, and what else? You know, we left the key on the outside of our house. <laughs> you can't do that anymore. You know, even when my children grew up, I could let them play in the front yards of the neighbors. Nowadays, our children are no longer safe. You have to watch them 24 hours. You can't just send them down the street to the playground and say, come back after two hours or three hours. You may never see them again. See, each step we depart from God's word, from God's values, from God's principles, it brings us closer and closer to a national drought. But like in Elijah's days, God preserves us in the midst of the drought. Just like in Elijah's time, God will still fulfill his promises to his people and he will preserve us in the midst of the consequences that are the choices that our nation made or the people our society made. Now, we talked about national drought, but I want to talk about personal drought because, you know, we can always give our government the fault for everything and we can turn here and there and think we are so wonderful. <laughs> Dear sisters, just because there is a national drought, we don't have to have a personal one. Did you know that? Just because you live in a very difficult place here doesn't mean you have to have a personal drought. See, in the story we read, Elijah had a deep walk with God in spite of a society that had turned to idolatry. God answered his prayers. He could hear God's voice even audibly. And God worked great miracles through his life. So what was Elijah's secret? What kept Elijah from having a personal spiritual drought? There are two things that I can see. The first is, he held fast to the God of Israel. And he trusted in his word, even if no one else did. And the second thing was he believed and obeyed and proclaimed God's word in spite of death threats from Jezebel. Now there is a promise in God's word 
if we trust in God and abide in his word. And I want to read that to you. And that fits for what we read here. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. It's God's promise. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but it, its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield food. And then something very similar in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 3, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and take part of that life. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now he meditates day and night for the sake of obedience. And he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. See, this is Elijah's secret. He trusted in the Lord, and the Lord was his trust. And he delighted in the law of the Lord and kept it in his heart and obeyed. So if you and I trust in the Lord and abide in his word, these verses tell us we are planted by the water. That means I'm not planted in a desert place where I need artificial irrigation and that irrigation may break down tomorrow. And it means I have 24 hours access to the water of life. 24 hours. If we trust in the Lord and abide in his word. Two weeks ago, I was in a retreat, at a ladies' retreat in Utah. It was at Zion National Park. It was absolutely beautiful. But I tell you, these mountains had barely a little brush on it. It was just rocks in all the beautiful colors. And there was a restaurant near the hotel we stayed. And they had a rock garden with flowers. And I was saying, oh, look how beautiful flowers everywhere. And uh, they were telling me, there is an artificial irrigation system that these plants would not survive one day without that irrigation system. They would be dead in a day. So it's with us. If we are planted by the water, by God's word, and we trust in him, we have 24 hours access to this water. We don't have drought. And then it says in these words, in these verses we read, we are firmly planted. That means 
we are securely anchored in Jesus. We don't fall over when the wind blows or difficulties come, when we face trials and struggles and persecution. Where I lived, the city planted some trees along our sidewalks in, the, in our neighborhood. But they didn't put any stakes down, you know, tie the trees down. And Texas weather, we have a lot of thunderstorms and a lot of other storms. And I remember the first storm came and many of the trees started to lean over. And then another storm came and so many fell down and they died. Why? They were not anchored. We need to be anchored in the Lord and in his word. Firmly planted. And then it says here, we will grow deep roots if we trust in the Lord and if we abide in his word. We will grow deep roots. You know, I think you have redwood trees here and all. They are so huge, I heard, and uh, some of them, it takes quite a while to walk around. And <laughs> or maybe you have to take your car and drive around. <laughs> you know, they are saying a tree will have as deep roots as it is high, at least. I don't know about redwood trees, but if the canopy is wide, it will have to have the same width of roots all around to support that. And then roots go down in the ground. Where do they go? To underground water source. That means these trees don't depend on the occasional rain or on an irrigation system. See, if we trust in the Lord and abide in his word, then we grow deep roots. Then also Christ's life will flow through us and produce fruit even if it doesn't rain around us. We are connected to the underground water source. What is the result? These verses in Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 and Psalm 1, 1 through 3 tell us what the result will be. We don't fear the heat. There is a lot of heat around us. You are attacked by those that don't share our Christian values. Our leaves stay green and don't wither. You won't shrivel up. Your faith won't shrivel up. Your joy won't disappear. And then it says, we are not anxious when drought comes. Even if national drought comes. Even if a church-wide, denomination-wide drought comes. You will not be anxious. And then it says, we will bear fruit in its season. Even if no one else bears fruit. You will bear fruit. So, this is God's promise for us. So how 
then does our personal trial come? It comes if we stop trusting the Lord. We read, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Now what is trust? Trust is faith. It's hope. It's dependency. It's reliance. And you all know Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. See, dear sisters, trout comes when we stop trusting the Lord. The reason is, nothing in God's kingdom works apart from faith, apart from trusting the Lord. Hebrews 11 Verse 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him. And James 1, 6 and 7 says, if we ask God for something, we have to do it without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. We are still talking about how does personal drought come if we stop trusting the Lord? See, nothing in God's kingdom works without trusting the Lord, without faith. It's like my car only runs on gas. I have to fill it up almost every week. Now, when my kids were small, I got distracted. And I filled in diesel by accident. Guess what happened? It was coughing and huffing and puffing and didn't move anymore. Ever since I checked the pump at least twice before I <laughs> poured the gas in. Now, if I have this car, it runs on gas. If I put water in, will it run? If I put Pepsi in? No. If I put liquid plumber in? It will not move an inch. Likewise, nothing in God's kingdom works apart from faith, apart from trusting the Lord. So, what are our reasons for no longer trusting in the Lord? You know, maybe you trusted in the Lord for your salvation and getting out of debt, and you trusted the Lord for healing grandpa's ulcer, but then when it comes to trust him to choose your future husband for you, you say, I don't want to do that. I stop trusting the Lord because God may not want what I want. See, we have weird reasons for stop trusting the Lord. Or some people say, I trusted the Lord until I got my feelings hurt by some Christians five years ago. <laughs> or I stopped trusting the Lord because I wanted something so bad, I prayed for it. And God never answered. But if God doesn't answer, it means 
No. Or it means wait. So what are the consequences when we no longer trust in the Lord? We will start trusting in our own self, in our own wisdom. We will trust in the advice of other people. And we will start trusting in the devil's lies. And we will reap accordingly. But do we experience a spiritual drought? Because nothing in God's kingdom works without trusting the Lord. Nothing. So we say, what happened to me? I used to be so joyful. I used to pray and it was so wonderful in God's presence and all these things. You are in a spiritual drought. Because nothing works because you stop trusting the Lord. And then the second one, and it all goes back to that verse that we read from Jeremiah. The second thing, if personal, how personal drought comes if we neglect God's word. Now I know Calvary Chapel is preaching the word and you learn a lot, so much in church, but I'm talking about your personal life. God said to Joshua, in Joshua 1a, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Jesus was saying, Matthew 4.4, men shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then Paul wrote, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. And he also wrote Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Romans 12.12, 12, and do not be confirmed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that you can only do with God's word. And then there are a couple of more verses I want to read to you. We still talk about how does personal drought come? It's when we neglect God's word. Psalm 119. How can a young man or woman keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Psalm 119, 9 and 10. In Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, if we neglect God's word, what we just read, we deprive ourselves of direction in life. We deprive ourselves of guidance, of correction, of instruction, of divine wisdom, of spiritual foot. And then what is the result? Spiritual starvation. No transformation into the image of Christ. You know, God said in Romans 8.29 that his plan was from long ago to transform us into the image of Christ. 
And then we easily fall prey to sin. And then not enough of Christ's life flows through us. You know, we're supposed to be like a tree that produces fruit. And Jesus said, if you abide in me and I in you, my life will flow through you and automatically fruit will come out. That means if we deprive ourselves of God's word, not enough of Christ's life flows through us and there will be no fruit. There will be drought in your life. This is how drought will come to you personally. So now we've got a few minutes left, I hope, because we need to say a few things. What do we do now? <laughs> we only said how this drought comes, how do we get out of it? <laughs> it's important, you know. That's why you came here. For... <laughs> so you need to really take time and ask yourself where am I planted? Am I planted in the desert or by the water? And then how is my obedience to God's word? You know, sometimes we want to be obedient if it fits our comfort zone. And if it doesn't, we don't want to be obedient. And then you need to check, are you being transformed? Are you making progress toward Christ-likeness? It's important, you need to know where you are. Because otherwise, you won't take any steps to get out of the drought that may be in your life. So how do you get out of the personal spiritual drought? you need to make sure that you are planted by the water. You see, if you are planted by the water, by your fruit, you can recognize where you are planted by the fruit you produce if you are in the desert or the water. When my kids were small, we planted some tomatoes in our backyard. And then came the Texas summer heat. And even with the water we poured on it, in the end, this poor plant had only two leaves left and two little tomatoes that size. <laughs> so surely this tomato was not planted by the water. I can see it by the fruit. So you look at you. How does your fruit look like? How many leaves do you have left on you that are green? And if you find you are not planted by the water, then change locations. <laughs> I don't mean change churches, but you personally plant yourself right beside Jesus at the, sort of at the source of water so you can put down roots and you will become firmly planted. And then you need to make sure that you are firmly planted. You know, some of us, they move back and forth. A few months, we are excited about the Lord. We read 
his word, we are close to him, we pray and praise him, and then we go back to the desert and live there for a while. God's word will be the only thing that will give you stability in your Christian life. A stability that withstands storm. Now, you may be very young and you may have not experienced storms, but those of us who have lived a few years longer than you, uh, storms will come, struggles will come, accusations will come, confrontations will come, disappointments, loss, Maybe death will come to your family. How do you handle it? Only if you are firmly planted and you are stable. And then you need to see to it that you put down deep roots. How do you do this? You make a commitment to God's word. Elijah made a commitment. Live in God's word. What I mean with that is, don't put it down. Live in God's word and meditate on it day and night, not for the sake of doing a lecture or teaching Sunday school. Meditate on it day and night for the sake of obedience. Very, very important. And then ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand. And then obey the word. Be faithful to the word even if others are not faithful. Now, what I'm saying is maybe you heard it so many times, but let it, let's make it practical. To put, put down deep roots... I said you need to make a commitment to God's word. How do you do it? Maybe you read, how should I talk to other people? You read. Then you compare, what am I doing? Am I doing what God's word says? No, I don't. I do something else. I shout at people. I'm bitter at them. I'm angry. So what do you do then? You compare. Then you change. And you obey. Maybe in your marriage. The way you treat your husband. At your workplace. Read what God's word says about the subject. Compare what you do. If you find there is a difference between what God's word says and you change. Accept what God's word says. Live it. This is making a commitment to God's word. Whatever it says, this I will choose to live. See, when we become Christians, we come out of this world and we are so used to live a certain way and we continue. We go to church and we learn to change in a few things. We learn how to talk church language. We learn how to raise our hands and how to pray and how to maybe read the Bible. But in many areas, we continue whatever our parents lived, what the society lived, and we never get transformed. What you need to do every area of your life, 
every area. You find out what God's word says, you compare what you do. If there is a difference, make a commitment to God's word and live it. That is how you develop deep roots and you will stand in the storm and you will be fruitful in a year of drought. Now there is a promise, and I want, want to close with that, a promise for, of God for national or personal drought. He tells us, he gives us instructions what to do. And we should follow that. And we will come out of it. God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways or their neglect of God's word or their, their obedience, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now that land Maybe on a national level, maybe on a church-wide level, but it may be your heart. He will heal. He will bring healing to your heart. That is Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. Now, we will continue on this subject, but I want to ask you, please, whatever you heard in the first session, in this session, please think deeply. Think about, where am I? What does God want me to do to apply that? Otherwise, you will come home and there will be no changes. You really need to ask the Lord, please help me to make some very important decisions today so I will personally come out of drought and I will become a blessing and someone who brings life back to my church. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you to have examples like Prophet Elisha, who was faithful to you, to trust you completely, and to obey your word. Lord, he was fruitful, in years of drought. And Lord, we want to be the same way. Lord, we want to trust you with our life and we want to be obedient to your word so we too can be firmly planted by the water and we don't depend on a few drops of rain. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your word works if we obey it. We pray that you bless our fellowship together and this afternoon sessions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.